You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Steamheart. Chapter 40. Standoff. From the Journal of James Penrose, Mississippi, July 24th. Abigail stood at the front and center of the line of Green Hollow villagers. They had assembled within the gates of the stockade and some thirty rifles were now aimed at us. Harry was being held at knife point. Butler, Raven and Pines were on their knees. Harrow and Miguel stood nearby, looking over intently. I experienced a brief and potent combination of confusion and relief to see the tiger alive again. Behind me, Silent Company crouched, pointing their guns. Behind and above them, the infantrymen stood pointing theirs. With the amount of surviving men, women and boys in front of us, all bearing rifles, our numbers seemed evenly matched. In the wake of us all, on the Zeppelin thundercloud, Tesla and Edison watched the proceedings. I had to argue for days to get myself here to the front line, rather than in that place of relative safety. My standpoint was that if White needed someone, who had seen the way these people lived, I was of far more use to them right here. They had to think of me as a necessary risk to aid their chances of getting back what they needed. Agent Lee was beside me, her hand on my arm. To my left, Mr. White stood poised and ready, as though he was going to run at their ranks and take them all on himself. We had marched for two days, and we were hungry and tired. Tensions were frayed. Buford stepped forward, pulling back on Harry's hair, exposing her neck. I know who this little bitch is. Found some literature in a bag she had on her. He took a dime book from his pocket and read aloud. Harry Arlington, the Marvel mechanic. Who better to pilot this magnificent, miraculous machine than its ingenious inventor? He glared at us. I know you don't want to lose this one. White stepped forwards, and his deep, resonant, booming voice rang out across the grasslands. Correct. We want all of your hostages back. Rose, now wearing a freshly laundered mauve dress stood beside her son, shouting with raw, barbed indignation. How dare you people march up to our doorway, our property, and start threatening us? We have constitutional rights that say we can defend ourselves against tyranny. Whenever any form of government becomes destructive, it is the right of the people to abolish it and institute a new government. Thomas Jefferson... Unless that is, you rewrote the Constitution while we weren't looking. What is your name? Rose McClellan. Rose, I am white. And since you've done your reading, you'll surely be familiar with the 14th Amendment of 1868. No state shall make any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of America. Nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. So if you wish to make a legal argument for your secession, then anyone held on your lands against their will must be allowed to go free. There's something else I've been reading, yelled Buford, pulling out Abigail's cartographer's handbook. 
Looks like it was written by a relation who wouldn't want this one harmed. Then he snarled in Harry's ear. Should have burned it like it said, girl. He looked out at the army, staring them down. I know your mind on secession, and I'm declaring to you now, in your own words, we will not join the fight to save America from the Wendigo. We will murder any man who tries to make us. So that's our terms. Take your hostages back. Leave us the fuck alone like we've been this past 11 years. And go on your day. That's our secession. If you have read the book, then you know the stakes. And you know we need everyone. If you elect not to fight, others will follow your cowardly example. This is why we cannot make exceptions. For the future of the nation and its people, we must have unity. Send over the hostages, lay down your weapons, and we will not harm you. But you will fight for us, and you will embrace reunification. Buford's eyes were wide. His hand around the knife shook with fury. Rose spoke for him. How do we know we can trust you not to open fire once your people are over there? No assurances. But if you continue to defy us, we shall slaughter you all. Down to the last child. Abigail turned to Buford. Will you let me try now? She asked. He jerked his head forward violently in response. Abigail stepped out. Cartographers. Scouts. Soldiers of the RSA, please do not fire. I'm here to broker terms for a peaceful exchange. Now, Mr. White. Yes. Abigail slowly and deliberately unfastened her coat and let it drop to the ground. She shivered visibly in the morning breeze. I'm going to make an assumption, sir. See, you came all the way down here with this military might for a reason, and it wasn't to smash the Southern Rebs. My assumption is that there is something they have of genuine value to you. And it's not Harry, it's this eye of mine. She pulled off her patch and Stetson hat, revealing the starlit orb in her head. If you open fire, you have no way of knowing where this is going. There were mutterings on either side regarding what Abigail was talking about. So here's what I propose. I will stand in this spot while the exchange is made and all of my friends are brought to safety as assurance that you won't fire. Buford squinted across at her. Glad you're finally seeing things our way. Fuck you, monster. She retorted coldly. I hate everything your way of life stands for. This isn't about saving your hides. This is about saving all of our souls. That was a fine speech. But I believe you are underestimating how much of a man of principle I am. McClellan, your people have ten seconds to start sending across the first hostages. Or we will open fire. Ten My eye went to Harry. She was trying to tell me something. Nine. In the next few seconds, as everything turned to shit, she shouted across. James, the doors need a physical reaction. Eight. 
My mind raced, faster than any previous point in my existence. Sivan! The house of Verstecht. Krieger moves in front of Greta, holding a pistol. He does not employ it to protect her. It is a tool for unleashing energy. Six. London, March 3rd, 1873. A great fire rages and a great door opens. It is the same day Charlotte is walled up alive. Her out-of-control abilities open this gateway remotely. Five. Memphis, October 20th, 1882. The Natchez Riverboat. Three smugglers point firearms at one another and discharge them in an empty room in the late evening. It is the same night Abigail and I touch the orb. A doorway to Rama opens. Four. The burned-out basket in Missouri, resting on the scorched earth beneath the wind door in the sky. Somewhere in the past, a hot air balloon erupts in flames, creating this door. Three. The forest, south of Jackson, Mississippi, May 10th, 1872. Midshipman Darien Clay hunts for his supper. He has a rifle. When he shoots at a deer, a wind door opens to a world of carnivorous parasitic plants. At the same time, guns go off in Egypt and over to Heck Lake in Canada. Two. Fingers were on every trigger. Abigail shouted as I was thrust down to the ground by Agent Lee. Everybody stop! One. The process needs fire. I could feel it before it happened. The gathering of energies, the guns were discharged on either side. I could touch the fingerprints in the air. My hand was up as the bullets sailed across the gulf between us. Space parted and fire surged outwards like a match struck beneath a piece of parchment as an immense door in the air burned open. Three things happened at this moment. Firstly, everybody reeled back at the effect that had occurred and the sight of the anomaly we were witnessing. A new world was visible through the door. At first I feared it was the olive-hued site ash, home of the Wendigo curse, and that infection would blossom outwards from this point. But the light was shades of gold and amber, and far off in the distance, we on the RSA side could see a city unlike any humans had ever built. The second thing that happened is that I collapsed. Already on the ground I was sapped of all my strength as a result of opening this gateway. Waves of nausea crashed over me and I struggled to breathe and focus, uncertain of what was going on. The third thing that transpired was the impacts of the bullets I failed to catch. Nearly all of the lead shot disappeared off through the gate, emerging on the other side into an empty field, to travel off in two opposing directions for many hundreds of yards before ploughing harmlessly into the soil. But some got through. It was not a mathematically precise procedure. Anomalies occurred. I could not divert all of them. Men on our side were hit in the chests, faces, shoulders and legs. White himself, being a prime target, buckled and stepped back under the impact of several direct hits to his armour before straightening up unharmed and focusing on the city in the distance. Many men... Women and children on the green hollow side were wounded or dead. Screaming could now be heard. <laughs> Buford sat back on the ground, two bleeding gunshots in his side, as Rose knelt down to hold him. Raven and Pines were unhurt. Butler was bleeding at the knee and the shoulder from his previous injuries. Rao unfolded herself from where she had shielded Miguel. 
about Harry. That remarkable mind, that gentle soul, that precious young lady had collapsed into the grass, holding herself and gasping. From where I was pinned, I looked the fifty feet across to where she lay. Harry looked back, blinking in shock. Abigail, somehow unharmed, stared in horror at the sight of our friend, fallen and terribly wounded. She turned to the troops, and though the doorway occluded our view, and most people could not see her from where we stood, we could make out her voice over the rushing wind. God damn it! Put your fucking weapons down! She shouted at both factions. We're done with this! Whether it was because of the dazzling sight of the new world, or the horrific realities of familial loss, Green Hollow did lay down arms that morning. The day was saved, prisoners were returned, but the cost across this whole ordeal had been extremely high. We rushed into the infirmary on Thundercloud. Abigail cradled Harry as I got her onto the table. Bullet impacts had shattered her tibias. Her lower legs were a bloody mess. I calmed the delirious young woman down and told her there was a procedure that could save her, but it would require the loss of something precious. She nodded and asked me to just fix it, then passed into unconsciousness. I asked the medical officers in attendance for a bone saw and tried to put from my mind the person I would be performing this operation on. Dull pain and dim lights. Abigail is here. She sits beside my bed, reading. There's a loud thrumming sound all around us. And, and my head feels funny. I ask her where we are. Abigail smiles weakly and says we're about 650 feet in the air. In a flying machine that that windbag Edison made. I am immediately thrilled and asked to see out of the window. Abigail pauses and tells me to lie still before opening the blinds to let in the afternoon sun. It is, it is beautiful up here. We slide just below the clouds and green fields and forests drift by beneath. I sit up, and immediately everything feels wrong. My balance is off. The painkillers in my system, which I later learn are morphine, make me dizzy and sick. I start, I start to lift the sheet, and Abigail tells me to wait just a moment. Let myself get used to a few things first. I am alive. When I was shot, I thought, I thought that was it. My time was up. 
I would never make another thing again in this world. But I'm still here. And we are going home. She gently lets go of the sheet and I pull it back. To reveal bandaged stumps at my knees. Oh no. She holds me and kisses my forehead. And I am already gone. Off inside. To look for ways to solve this problem. Apparently I do not come out of that place very often now. And time is strange to me. have been listening to episode 40 of Steamheart Standoff written and directed by Alexander Shaw James Penrose and Mr. White performed by Alex Shaw Buford McClellan performed by Jacob Newburn Rose McClellan performed by Theo Lee Abigail Gray performed by Sharon Shaw and Harry Arlington performed by Loretta Saylor Make Your Decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. Olympus, composed and performed by Ross Buckton. Long Note, Soaring, Bittersweet and Ossuary, composed and performed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Many soundscapes, including Disembodied Spirits by Tabletop Audio. Our $15 patrons get sponsor credit every episode, so thank you too. Joel Robinson, Benjamin Biddle, Abel Savard, Michael Hasco, Connor Kennedy, Brian Novak, Evan Jankowski, Sarah Montgomery, Dan Hepner, John Clayson, Tyler Long, Adam Kilmartin, Joe Gasiga, Greg Downey, Tim Rosinski, Christopher Wolfe, Kat Esman, Cassandra Newman, Timothy Green, Matthew A. Siebert, Joseph Gluck, Kevin Otero, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Luksh, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Kieran Dachler, and Lorraine Chisholm. What follows is archived interview footage compiled by Raven from Agent Jeremy Pines just after the closing of the Southern Door. It has been added to episode 31, Suspicion. Raven, Agent Jeremy Pines. What are your thoughts on the Wendigo now that you have witnessed their savage origin firsthand? What are my thoughts? I guess... 
I guess I'm disappointed that they were a mistake. You'd rather they were the weapon of a calculating enemy? Oh, God. I just feel like if there was some thinking behind it, a plan, then it might put where we stand as a race in perspective of sorts. And I'm just very... very sorry that half a dozen men died to establish those facts. Do you feel guilty for their deaths? I'm never going to forget their names. Peron, Yang, Bateman, Murphy, Basra, Shapiro, and Sergeant Jackson. The mission was to discover as much as we could about that place before the doors were closed. Some would say they performed their task to the best of their abilities. I could have pulled us out sooner. A few of them might still be with us. It's... It was a waste of human lives. What are you going to do now? I'm going to go home and work with Donald. Use what we did learn to save as many as we can. Damn it, I should have taken some leaf clippings. So do you see this mission as a failure? Not a failure. We closed the door. We've got the tiger to show for our grand theory of other worlds. It was just a... success with a price. <laughs>